Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of iFreaks. This week, we're talking to Dave Verwer. Dave, do you want to say hello? Hey, everybody. Now, um, we've had you on the show a couple of times. I think we talked about iOS Dev Weekly, and I think we talked about uh, finding packages with Swift PM. We certainly did, yeah. But yeah, do you want to just uh, introduce yourself real quick, and then we'll uh, jump in and talk about the topic today? Yeah, so I guess the way... Most people might know me uh, is through iOS Dev Weekly, which is uh, a newsletter I send out every Friday, um, well, Friday afternoon for me, Friday morning, depending on where you are in in America, maybe, um, uh, which contains a kind of roundup of the week's links and articles and tools and news um, from the world of iOS development. So it's it's a kind of a roundup of everything that's happened during the week. Uh, and that's been going for about nine years uh, now. But I, I run several projects in and around the iOS developer kind of community. Very cool. With Headspin, optimize your mobile user experiences 24-7 for any application running on any device and any network anywhere in the world. Their AI-powered analyses track user experience metrics and KPIs over time from cold and warm starts to errors, crashes, and response times, and audio and video quality to biometric responsiveness. Headspin will automatically surface issues and the root cause information you need to optimize user experience for your product or service, providing actionable insights end-to-end across applications, devices, and networks. With the world's first global device cloud that uses thousands of real SIM-enabled devices on actual carrier and Wi-Fi networks in hundreds of locations around the globe with 100% uptime, Keep your mobile user experiences ahead of the pack and achieve mobile success with a unified proactive approach to testing, performance monitoring, and user experience analytics only with Headspin. Learn more at headspin.io. Yeah, I'm always curious where you find those links because it sounds like it's a lot of work to pull all that stuff together. So I actually, I find most of those links these days through another project, which I started up uh, a little while ago, which is called the iOS Dev Directory. Um, So I, for years, had been um, curating my own kind of list of RSS feeds that I liked to monitor. Um, And a couple of years ago, I wanted to kind of expand that list and really try and get everybody who was blogging about iOS development into um, uh, into my feed reader, basically. So I thought, well, rather than do this work myself, uh, I bet the community could, community could do it for me. Um, so I started this project called the iOS Dev Directory, um, and it's an open uh, list of um, RSS feeds for everybody who's blogging in the um, in the community. And I subscribe to every single one of those feeds. But actually, those, that, that OPML file and those, that feed list is open to the world. So anyone could subscribe to the same list of feeds uh, that I do. And that's where I get most of my links from. So you just skim them till you see something you like and then... Yeah, I will give you a slight warning, which is um, if you do subscribe to that list of feeds, it's a really big list of feeds. And, <laughs> yeah, it, <is. laughs> it can be It can be quite an overwhelming uh, task. But... You know, over the years, I've, I've been doing iOS Dev Weekly now for um, coming up on nine years, and you get reasonably good at, at a glance, figuring out whether an article is going to be something you want to investigate a little further, put it on a short list, or definitely going to link to this. Um, 
so yeah, you, you, I, I, I guess I've become reasonably uh, adept at spotting an article that I'm interested in. Awesome. What do you subscribe to the blogs with? It's a reasonably complicated setup I have, as you might imagine. Yeah. Um, so I use a tool called um, Inno Reader, I-N-O Reader. Um, okay. uh, and that's a, an online feed reader. And the reason I picked that one is because it has one very clever feature, which is it can subscribe to not only a feed, but it can subscribe to an OPML file. So oh, nice. whenever, yeah, so whenever I push an update to the iOS dev directory, my feed reader automatically picks up the new feeds. And if I if anyone ever removes themselves from that directory, it equally it removes that feed from my feed reader. So in a reader just is constantly in sync for me with the iOS dev directory. Um, and then locally on my own machine, I run uh, the Mac app uh, reader, um, which I think is a fantastic uh, feed reader. And I've used that for years and years now. Um, so a combination of reader, Inno reader, and the iOS dev directory. Nice. All right. Well, um, I've sated my curiosity. Now well, I haven't, but um, that's not what we brought you on to talk about. So. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> I was just, I was like, all, wow. All, we already went down a tangent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We went pretty fast. Um, but yeah, you gave a talk at uh, iOS Conf SG, which is the uh, conference in Singapore. We've had a few other speakers from that conference come and talk to us. Um, and it's kind of funny because I'm used to uh, pulling speakers in from conferences and it's like, yeah, so six months ago, not less than a month ago, but, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, just a few weeks back, yeah. Yeah, um, but you talked about uh, how to design your app to be discoverable. And so what I'm wondering just right off the bat is what, what prompted this talk? So it's a kind of interesting story behind uh, this talk. In the, um, I gave a talk last year called How to Make Your uh, App Feel at Home on iOS 13. And that talk had kind of three sections in it. And, and that talk generally was a, a design talk. It wasn't, it wasn't a talk about dark mode. It wasn't a talk about any of the new APIs particularly. It was, it was a design talk and it was a talk around watching what Apple do and taking inspiration from what Apple do to make your application feel more at home on the platform. And there were three sections to that talk. Um, I talked actually, first of all, about buttons, um, and quite a significant portion of that talk was actually around just all the different types of buttons in iOS 13, which may sound like a, a dull topic, but I promise you it was, well, maybe it was. <laughs> um, another large section of that talk was around discoverability, because in iOS 13, Apple did a whole load of work on um, increasing the discoverability of certain features and um, uh, apps within the, the, the platform. And the more I thought about that talk, the more I thought that actually the discoverability section of that talk is something I don't feel that I had chance to kind of really cover in that talk. So I took that section and I expanded it from being a 10 minute piece in the middle of one talk into being its own whole um, talk by itself. Cool. How long did it take you to get the talk together? Um, preparing talks is always something that 
I mean, it takes a long time, but for a good period of that time, it's nothing more than a notes document or something like mm-hmm. that. So I tend to, when I have an idea, and I have several of these um, documents going on at the same time. When I have an idea for a talk, I'll start a new notes document for it. And over time, I might occasionally just jot down an idea in there, a phrase that I want to say, you know, and that phrase can become, it can end up in the, in the talk or, or it can just, it can maybe inspire me to write a section of the talk when it comes time to actually write it. But I'm just constantly f- filling that document with whatever I can think of on the subject. And it, it'll come to me in various different places around, around what, sometimes when I'm working, sometimes when I'm reading um, uh, articles or, or looking at apps or something like that, I'll, I'll spot something that I'll think, oh, I should mention that in the something talk right mm-hmm. and so for a long time the 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 kind of the seed of the talk just lives in in this notes document um when it actually comes to writing the presentation um obviously it takes um a solid piece of work to actually get that put together and put into keynote i think i read somewhere once that it takes um an hour for every minute of talk or something like that. I think that maybe is a little over the over the top, but certainly it takes it takes many many hours to put a, a good conference talk together. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that a lot of people think, oh, you just make slides and then you present. But what I found is, in order to get a smooth delivery and to know um, how the talk is going to flow, I have to practice it and things like that, and so. It just it just takes a certain amount of time to get it polished enough to really have a good delivered talk. I think I think that's a really in fact this came up on Twitter just yesterday. How do you practice a talk and um and how often do you practice a talk? Certainly I think one of the key things about giving a conference talk is even like make yourself stand up on your own in the office uh-huh. or whatever room you're doing it in, make yourself stand up put the clicker in your hand um, and go through the talk, speaking it out loud to the cat or the dog or the wall or whoever is there to listen um, and do like a proper run through where, and this is another important bit that you don't, get halfway through it and go, oh, I spotted a mistake on that slide. I'm just going to sit down and fix it. Like you need at least one run through where you don't do that, where you actually perform it to the wall. But before that, I will give it two or three run-throughs where I am standing up and speaking, but I will sit down and fix the occasional thing or where something doesn't quite flow right, I'll reorder the slides and then I'll stand back up again and start over again. But that process of actually rehearsing it and practicing it out loud is really important. At the same time though, I don't like to over rehearse my talks. So I tend to practice my talk maybe two or three times before mm-hmm. I give it. Um, because I feel if I do it more than that, then um, you run the risk of it actually coming out as a little bit too stilted and you know what you're going to say too much. And that can make it not quite sound as natural um, as it could if you just have a little bit of well, I'm not quite sure exactly where this is going to go, but I know I know that on this slide, I'm going to make a couple of points here. On this slide, I'm going to make a couple of different points. Yeah, I agree. I, I tend to just uh, practice it until it's comfortable. Mm-hmm. 
And so sometimes that's two or three times. Sometimes if it's stuff that I'm still working through, I'll go through it a few more times. But yeah, I agree. Yeah. So as far as uh, discoverability of apps, we're not talking about like app store optimization and stuff, or are we? We're not. And actually that was, um, that was an initial problem with, um, with the talk. And I, I, I'm not sure whether it actually got updated on the um, iOS Comp Singapore website in the end, um, but certainly the slides, I did update the slides uh, to, to rename the talk to be designing your UI for discoverability rather than designing your app for discoverability. Right. Because a couple of people actually did um, contact me before the talk and said, is this talk about marketing um because i have talked about <laughs> marketing before like that's that is something that i do occasionally talk on but no well, this is a people struggle with too so and absolutely yeah it's a big it's a big topic and i equally could have given a talk on that um but but no this one is about um uh, application design so not necessarily visual design but um uh design of your application so that people can figure out what it does and how to use it that makes sense now i'm curious i'm kind of tempted to go one way and i'm kind of tempted to go another way um one is still a little bit focused on the app store just in the sense that um you know you have like snapshots and walkthroughs and stuff like that you stick in there and so people can kind of get an idea of how to use it but i don't know how many people actually use that feature in the app store i usually just find the app hit get and then i'm done um, the flip side is, is that, uh, we could also just talk about the UI principles as far as just making it natural pe for people to use the app, which I think is more in line with what you're talking about. Yeah. I think, um, uh, the, the preview, are you talking about the preview videos? Yeah. Preview videos. You can also yeah. put like just images of the, some sure. of the different screens. Yeah. yeah. So I think the preview videos are, they're very interesting actually. I think it's, it's, you almost feel like you're missing out if you don't have a preview video. But just like you said, I never watch the preview videos. <laughs> um, I do look at the images. I do look at the images. I, th I think you should definitely take a lot of care with your App Store images. Um, and you should probably do a video because why not? Like, I don't look at them particularly, but some people might. Um, uh, so, yeah, I... I but but I, I kind of agree with you. I, I just, I'd rather just get the app and download it. Um, because these days, almost all applications are initially free to download. Um, uh, and I know that was maybe not quite the case when those preview videos first appeared. So maybe, maybe they were more useful in, in, in those days. But these days, I just feel like that get button is, is, is right there. Yep. So then how do you make your app uh, UI more discoverable then? So I think um, Apple have contributed to uh, something that you see very prevalently in almost all applications, which is the kind of standard way to teach people about your application is as they launch the application, the first thing you do is show them a kind of walkthrough of his the first feature, here's the second feature, and you swipe through a few pages of walkthrough. Um, and normally at the end of that walkthrough, you're gonna get uh, maybe prompted to do the in-app purchase upgrade to the pro version or whatever it is, that the, the, the paid version of the application. Um, but effectively that's become quite a standard 
um, mechanism of kind of onboarding people into your um, application. Right. And you're Apple talking about the. This. You're talking about the onboarding yeah. sequence where it's like arrow pointing to button. Click here to add your first thingy. Um, so actually, those are more like empty state um, um, screens. So okay. if you have like a table view or something like that, then yeah, then there might be like an add button up the top right hand corner. And in that empty state, in that blank empty table view, um, it became popular for a, uh, for a while to to kind of put some animation, not, sorry, not yeah. so much animation, but put some illustration there saying, oh, point up here to, to get started or whatever. But I think we've, we've kind of moved on a little bit from there into these kind of onboarding walkthroughs, which are kind of swipe through a few pages of um, um, explanation of what the application does, explanation right. of some of the features, that kind of thing. Um, and Apple do this in their applications. They don't tend to use a swipe um, um, thing, but they do show you in almost every first party application a kind of welcome to and then the app name uh, screen and they all have very similar designs they're all kind of two sorry three or four bullet points with an icon on the left hand side and a one or two sentence description of a couple mm -hmm. of different features in the application right. you'll have seen them they're everywhere early in my career i figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't mostly by trial and error I created a system that I use to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv slash jobbook. That's devchat.tv slash job book. The problem is with those is that when you're, when you've just downloaded an application, um, you're not necessarily in the mood to be educated. And <laughs> I don't know about you, <laughs> like you probably had something in mind when you went to get that application. You probably had something you wanted to do. Yeah. And the thing that you wanted to do is probably the very basic feature of the application that anybody could figure out how to do. Just get me into the application. I don't want to know about every last feature that exists in this application. So you're often not in the mood to, to, to learn about every, um, uh, every corner of what's possible. And of course, most applications from somewhere, maybe in the settings screen, allow you to get back to that walkthrough, but who's ever going to, do that. And so I think these walkthroughs, they're fine. I don't think we should get rid of them. I think they're okay. But they're also not the answer to discoverability. I think quite often people do a walkthrough and then feel like, well, I'm done. I've, I've taught people how to use my application. And if they didn't read my walkthrough, then I'm, I'm washing my hands of that user. You know, <laughs> I've done my bit. Um, instead, discoverability can be something that you build throughout your application. Um, and actually, in, in iOS 13, Apple, Apple do this quite a lot. Um, uh, so some of them, I think, they've, they've done some really good stuff with, and some, they've maybe got a couple of maybe close, uh, close misses in, in, in a few areas, like 
Um, one that I think is 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 a bit of a miss is um, I don't know whether you remember when you first launched up iOS thirteen. Did you do you remember being shown how to use the swipe keyboard? I don't. I think I probably was shown it, but I don't remember specifically whether or not I went through it or not. I can guarantee you were shown it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, the first time you use the keyboard, like was well, the first time a keyboard is presented on iOS 13, after you've upgraded to iOS 13, instead of the keyboard, you'll get a little animation. And that animation will show you a picture of um, a software keyboard, and it will have a little... Um, kind of swirl swiping around uh, the keyboard in a figure of eight pattern. And underneath the animation, it says, slide your finger across the letters to compose a word. And then there's a continue button. And that's effectively, that, that is enough information to figure out how to use that feature. If you know, if you read that sentence and see the animation of somebody's finger swiping across the screen, that's enough. The problem, I think, is when you get presented that. So the first time you use the keyboard after upgrading, you're probably right in the middle of doing something. Most likely, you're about to send a text message or an iMessage or right. something like that. And so you go in, like you have a task in your mind and you're going into the application, in this case, messages to do something. You're gonna text somebody it's something important. That's the most important thing that, uh, on your mind when you go into that keyboard. And instead of seeing the keyboard, you see this animation trying to tell you about some new feature. And so I would imagine most people just instantly hit the continue button as if like, what's this? This is just getting in my way. I don't want to, I don't want to <laughs> learn about stuff now. Just get rid of it, right? So I guarantee that you saw that animation and you saw those words, but I'm not surprised at all that you don't remember it. Um, so it's really important to think about the state of mind that your user is in when you're about to show them some of this discoverability stuff, whether it be a walkthrough or, you know, in a way it's a little frustrating because this idea that Apple had of, of showing this um, animation, showing you how to use the swipe keyboard at the point where you're just about to see the keyboard seems good in theory it's just in practice it's it's getting in the way again um and again once it's gone it's gone forever yeah so actually i did have uh, in the presentation i did have uh, a, a, an idea of, of how potentially that could actually be fixed so um instead of having it as a um a modal bit of education so something that blocks off the user from doing what they were intending to do Maybe after the upgrade, the first few times that you use the keyboard, or maybe until the user dismisses it or something like that, maybe above the keyboard, you know, like where that bar is that shows the different words that you can, uh, like predictive words that it's going to insert into the, into the text for you. Uh-huh. Um, so either replacing that or above that or somewhere around there, somewhere oh, yeah. that isn't overlaying the keyboard, you could just have something as simple as um, a little tiny little one character height uh, bar saying swipe instead of type, learn more, right? And have the learn right. more be, uh, be a button. And 
it, let's say they see that 10 or 20 times and don't click it, sure, at that point, hide it and don't show it again. Or put a little X on that as well and let people decide when to hide it. Um, and at the point where you hit learn more, then you can cover over the keyboard. Like at that point, you've got carte blanche to do whatever you want with the screen. Like the user has requested to be educated. They've tapped a button that says learn more. Knock yourselves out at that point. Right. Yeah, I like that. Um, and you're right. I mean, if I'm getting on to send a text, you know, yeah, I just probably clicked right past it. Um, the other thing that drives me nuts is some of the apps that I've installed in the past, they force you to walk through the walkthrough before you can use it. <laughs> and if I'm getting it to do a specific task and the walkthrough kind of gets me through that task, I'm okay with it. But then when I install it on my iPad and I have to go through it all over again, I just want to go, no, 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 just go away. Like sync all my data yeah. and leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those ones that, that don't allow you to skip the walkthrough and, and how you have to swipe through every screen of it. It becomes like the swiping Olympics, right? Like how fast can I get to the end of this walkthrough? <laughs> right. So, yeah. So, you know, in the case of the keyboard, yeah, just putting it, you know, above it or something, or, you know, in an app, you know, having something, you know, drop down periodically and remind you, Hey, do you, you know, do you want to go through the walkthrough now? And Apple do this actually in other areas of iOS 13. Um, so for example, in the health uh, application, um, if you launch up the health application um, after installing uh, iOS 13, you'll get non-modal prompts to go and discover some of the new features in your in their application so in the health application so one of the new features um uh, in ios 13 was cycle tracking um and if you launch up the health application and haven't um uh, explored that feature or um haven't set up that feature it's going to show you as part of that home screen in the health application, um, a little pop-up that says, it's not a pop-up, it's like it's part of the screen actually. And it says set up cycle tracking. Um, and there's a button on that uh, pop-up that says uh, get started. And again, at that point, the user has chosen to be educated on that feature. Um, there's an X button. And if you dismiss it, then that's it. It's gone forever. You've made a choice that I, I am not interested in this feature. So please don't tell me about this feature anymore. Um, mm -hmm. But I really like that because there's no, there's no interruption there, first of all. And if you don't want to learn about whatever the feature is straight away. It's going to be there next time. It's going to be there next time up until the point where you hit that X button. Um, they also use it for, um, you know, the medical ID feature inside the health application. I'm sorry. Say the, that again. The, the, the medical ID feature. Medical like ID. You can set up like, um, yeah, like you can set up uh, an emergency contact. Oh yeah. Yeah. You yeah. can tell it what medication you're on and that kind of stuff. If you haven't yet set one up, there's another panel there that says set up your medical ID, get started. Mm -hmm. um, and I really like those. I think those, the way that you can kind of think about these is they're almost like they're little adverts within your application for other bits of your application. Um, but adverts, not in a particularly bad way, um, but that's kind of how you can think about 
this kind of discoverability feature. It's it's advertising something that people might want to do in your app, but not getting in their way while while, while you do it. Yeah. Another place that, again, observing Apple is a great way to learn. Like, it's it's so valuable to observe what Apple do. Even though I've kind of criticized them a couple of times in this uh, talk that we've had tonight, um, they have an enormous amount of design expertise inside Apple. And they literally wrote the book on <laughs> this design because, because it is their book, it's their platform. Um, and they do a, a huge amount of really, really good work. Um, uh -huh. uh, and one area where Again, they've kind of expanded discoverability in some kind of interesting ways um, is, is with Siri. Um, so Siri is a really difficult um, discoverability problem because right. you've got this voice assistant that you can say anything to. Um, mm. And even though you can say anything to it, it's gonna, you're going to get along better with Siri if you give it the right phrases and if you if you know some of the stuff that it can do, then it's going to be able to help you more often than not. Um, and so discoverability on, on Siri is, is really tricky. Um, and, and Apple have, have put a, a huge amount of work into enhancing discoverability, um, the discoverability of Siri in this release. Um, so for example, if you pull down from the home screen and pull down into Spotlight on the iPhone um, mm -hmm. and then start typing something um, like battery, then it will, in Spotlight, it will show you the link to um, system preferences and, and position yeah. you at the in the battery settings. But also it might say, at the bottom, it'll have the Siri icon uh, and it might say, hey, Siri, turn on low power mode. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I've just set off sorry, everybody. Say Siri. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very sorry, everybody. You have my It's apologies. Dave's fault, folks. <laughs> it's my fault. Yeah. It will say, hey, somebody, um, turn on low power mode. And I like that because... At the point where you were searching for battery, you weren't even thinking about using um, the voice assistant, should we call it, um, right. the voice assistant to, to do that. But that discoverability, that kind of ambient discoverability is just kind of constantly reminding you, hey, this, there's another way you could do this. Instead of coming into your phone, typing things into the, uh, the, the phone, um, uh, you could just use Siri. Yep, absolutely. And I, I, I love that because, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a natural prompt, but it's not in the way. Yeah. Are you stuck at home climbing the walls when you should be hanging out with the community at the latest conference to get canceled? Are you wondering where to hear your JavaScript heroes like Amy Knight and Douglas Crockford and Chris Heilman? After the cancellations, I decided to put on a JavaScript conference for you online. I invited my favorite folks from around the web and got them to come speak at an online event just for you. Go to jsremoteconf.com and check out our speakers and schedule. The conference is on May 14th and 15th. The call for proposals is open until March 31st. Come join us at an online conference that we guarantee will keep you safe and keep you informed. jsremoteconf.com. Um, there's another one, like, again, going back to Siri, um, 
when you load up the messages uh, list for the first time in iOS 13, um, at the top of your list of, of conversations, um, there's a little panel that, that is there that says talk instead of type. It says text without stopping what you're doing. For example, say, and then it gives you a phrase that you could say uh, to initiate a messages conversation with somebody. That's dismissible. It's scrollable, so you can just scroll it off the screen. It's not going to stop you getting through to that conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I, what I really like is these, like I say, you can almost think about them as, as like adverts for different bits of your application. Well, and we had a, a conversation for um, on iFreaks a, a few weeks ago with Christina Moulton, and... Um, she talked about how to set up, you know, kind of those Siri shortcuts. And yeah, what I like yeah. is, is yeah, then you've got that reminder, hey, this app can respond to that particular thing. Mm -hmm. And actually that's something that iOS is doing, which is, it's actually helping your application's discoverability yeah. By if you donate those NS user um, NS user activity, are they? Is that what they are? I think so. Um, if you donate those NS user activity objects to the operating system, it's going to start suggesting things that your application can do from Spotlight. Yeah. Yep. Like what better place for discoverability than Spotlight? I mean, people use that thing all day, every day. Yep. It's or it's like the... I, I do. It's like the iTunes podcast feature where essentially it says, um, you know, if you like this podcast, you'll also like to listen to these podcasts. Does it with the yeah, apps exactly. too, right? Except this is, yeah. if you're trying to do this, you may also be trying to do this and this. Yeah. Very cool. I'm really digging this. I'm going to have to go back and listen again and like write all these down, but. <laughs> well, I mean, so what we've covered tonight is only a quarter of what's actually in the talk as well. So yeah. just because you, just because I've told you about this doesn't mean you shouldn't go and watch the talk. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. One thing that I'm wondering too, though, is how do you think about these things, right? I mean, some of it is be on the lookout when you're using your iPhone for things that are like this, right? Oh, somebody did that really well. And I, you know, I'm going to borrow that uh, approach, but how do you recognize, hey, there's a problem here, a discoverability mm -hmm. problem, and I may need a solution for it? I think that's actually a really interesting point. And if you do watch the talk, I, I kind of give a whole load of things that you might want to advertise to your users, but at the same time, what you don't want to do is overwhelm people. You know, if you if someone goes into your application and they effectively just see 26 adverts for different things that your application can do, that's equally a bad experience. Um, right. And so the context and the, 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 the when and the where of how to highlight discoverability, um, how to um, make the features of your app uh, discoverable, is super important. Um, and actually, one thing that's kind of fun that I've not seen anybody actually try this, but um, it, ha it has kind of... Well, actually, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, the, the backstory to this, which is um, I had... Uh, um, I was in New York at the end of last year, and I ended up having breakfast with, um, you know, Felix Krauss, the, the person who made uh, Fastlane. 
Mm-hmm. So Felix and I were at uh, breakfast and we were chatting through and he was, he was telling me about a little thing that he'd been kind of thinking on of some kind of SDK or framework to figure out like what is a user doing? I, is, is a user currently uh, indoors or outdoors? Are they walking? Are they sitting down? Are they, you know, and all these, these sensors that we've got in these devices can tell us an enormous amount about what the person is actually doing. And of course, for discoverability or something like that, you wouldn't ever want to ask for permission for those. But there are lots of things that you can figure out, like time of day. Um, like, for example, is the person connected to a Wi-Fi network or are they on cellular? Um, if the person is connected to the cellular network rather than a Wi-Fi network, they're probably not at home and they're probably not in the office. And so they're probably not in the mood to be forced into learning about something that your application can do. Um, if the time is after midnight and before 5 a.m., they're also probably not going to be in the mood to, to, to learn something about your application, although maybe they are. Maybe they're on shift work or something like that. And maybe you could start gathering analytics about when the kind of normal time that they use your application is and start presenting discoverability prompts during the periods where you think this mm-hmm. user might be more receptive to actually learning something about your application. And you can do a lot of that without being creepy. And it's not particularly creepy just to figure out whether the person is on a Wi-Fi network or a cellular network. It's not creepy to figure out what time it is. Um, The analytics that we put inside applications can be really useful in terms of, or I believe that they could be really useful in terms of picking the right time to maybe present a new bit of information to somebody. Um, And I haven't actually seen anyone do this, but I'm really hopeful that somebody does kind of experiment with this because I think that that context and timing of this kind of stuff could be a real um, benefit both to the user so that they don't get overwhelmed uh, with, with it, but also it could allow them to discover features of your application that they might not have done before. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, yeah, I, I think that for me, the creepy is when I know they're sending that data, those analytics back somewhere else. Um, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have to, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't have, have to. to do that. No, right. no, no, this could be like, this could be entirely uh, on device. Um, uh, you could, you could do all of what I just suggested there without transmitting anything, uh, anywhere. Yeah. Um, you could also, I, I really like the idea of kind of figuring out what level of expertise a user has with your application. So if like, you probably know, or you could at least you could store and figure out how many times somebody's launched your application and and you can kind of from what they're doing with your application you know we've got to talk very generically here because we're not talking about a specific app here but generally through the interactions that a, a user is having with your app you probably know whether they're a beginner an intermediate or advanced user of your app right so use that data to present them different bits of discoverability don't take um, a, you know, how to do the very basics of your application and present it to someone who's launched your application a thousand times and has 
so much data in it that you you know that you know that person is absolutely a power user in your application maybe for that person start showing them the new features the stuff that you introduced in the mm-hmm. latest version whereas if it is a, a first launch they almost those users almost certainly don't want to see the latest little point release feature that you added in because right. that will potentially appeal more to a power user application so all of these things that you could have lots of different types of little kind of discoverability features presented to different classes of users. And of course, all of this depends on the size and the scale of your application. And this won't be relevant for everybody's application. But I do think it's interesting to think about this kind of stuff. Yep, absolutely. And and I, yeah, again, I love just, uh, yeah, tailoring the experience to them um, and, and, you know, putting that automation into your app. I think that would be really, really interesting. I'd, I'd love to see people uh, kind of experiment with that. Yeah. I'm sure some of the big, big uh, companies are already doing it. Almost certainly Facebook are doing it. <laughs> that wouldn't shock me, but they kind of track your um, activity <laughs> across all of Facebook. So in yeah. and out of the app, they're probably watching yeah. you. Very cool. Well, if people want to dive into this some more, they should go watch the talk. But beyond that, um, if they want to reach out and say, hey, I had this other idea that's not in the talk, not in the podcast or whatever, um, how do they find you online and, and you know, push your buttons? Sure. Um, the easiest place to find me is daveverwer.com. That's uh, V-E-R-W-E-R if you, if you need to spell it. Um, and from there, you can get a link to my Twitter, which is just, again, Dave Verwer, um, and all the different things that I do, including iOS Dev Weekly. So. Yeah, there's um, every every possible way that you'd need to contact me on that site. Nice. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Now, you've been on the show before, so you should be fairly familiar with picks. Um, I, I am, yes. Do you want to shout some stuff out then? Yeah. So uh, the pick I, I had uh, is um, a, a new application. Uh, it's not brand new, but I think it's just maybe two or three weeks old. So hopefully still new enough um, that it hasn't been mentioned before. Um, uh, it's called Core Data Lab. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's by a company called Betamagic. Um, uh, so I like this application because um, I don't know whether you, if, if you ever used Core Data, um, you end up with this SQLite database in your application. And sure enough, you can open that SQLite database with base or SQL Pro or you know, any of these applications or something like that. Um, but the way that Core Data stores its data, it's got some extra fields, it's got some kind of idiosyncrasies that, that make um, a regular SQLite application maybe not quite perfect for looking at that um, uh, database. Um, what, uh, what Core Data Lab does is it's basically a core data client. So it's kind of a SQLite browser, but it knows all about core data. Um, so it knows about the records, it kind of hides all the idiosyncrasies, um, and it allows you to, to kind of interact with your core data database. Or it actually defaults to read-only mode, so you can just look at the core data database. Because again, I wouldn't really recommend kind of going in there manually and changing things up, but to observe it is really um, important. And actually, it has a feature which I think is really cool, which is it can effectively um, track changes to your uh, database and highlight rows in different colors, but depending on whether the data was modified, 
inserted, deleted. So you can have this kind of live view of your core data database right there. And as you use your application, you can see the, the rows highlight in green and you know, different colors. I think it's a really cool application. Very cool. Well, I'm going to jump in here and uh, throw in a couple of uh, recommendations myself. Um, the first one is uh, I've been watching a TV show. Um, I've been watching this for years. The, the next season came out a few weeks ago, and I just hadn't gotten around to watching it until now because I was watching a different show. Um, it's The Expanse, and it's on Amazon Prime, and I, I'm really, really uh, enjoying it. So um, I'm going to pick that. And then, um, yeah, I've been playing a lot with some other uh, technologies. And one that I'm getting into these days is Gridsome. Uh, now, Gridsome is a static site generator. It's built in Vue.js. Um, it's kind of like Gatsby, if you're familiar with it. But uh, anyway, been, been digging that. So I'm going to shout out about that as well. Um, I'm thinking about moving um, devchat.tv over to Gridsome. And so... Um, anyway, it'll be interesting to see where we wind up with a lot of that stuff, but yeah, um, those are kind of the things that I'm thinking about these days. Um, yes. yeah. So I, I, I built a bit of the, the, the Swift PM library, uh, which is one of the projects that I, that I built, um, uh, that the front end of that was built with you. Um, uh, and I, I really like it. I thought it was a great technology. Nice. Yeah, um, I'm really loving Vue. I've been playing with it for a while, and it's re it's really nice framework. So it's really good. Yeah. All right. Well, um, there's not anything else, so we're gonna wrap this up. And uh, until next time, Max out, everybody. Thanks so much for having me on. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit c a c h e f l y dot com to learn more.